Oh, I love, I love singing that song. Do you guys like that song? I love singing that song. And the lyric that gets me is the lyric, uh, this one truth, God is madly in love with you. Man, I hope wherever you've been this last week, I hope you hear that before you walk out today, that God is madly in love with you. And uh, all of us need that truth to be anchored deep within our souls. Because so often in this world, we're told we're unlovable and we're told that we're not good enough and we're told that something that we do keeps us from God. And the truth is God is still madly in love with each one of us. And uh, I need to be reminded of that. And uh, I'm so thankful for a great team of worship leaders who, who help us sing those truths each and every week. Um, we're going to go on a little journey today. There's going to be some movie clips today. Woo! Somebody's excited about a movie clip. Um, be a couple movie clips today. Um, someone asked me earlier, are there spoilers? Mmm, uh, kind of, but not fully. Anyway, uh, we're going to open up uh, some, some teachings of Jesus and then look at some New Testament truths that I think we'll find in this endgame uh, concept. We'll find some truths that match up. And I love looking at movies that help us reframe what we actually see in the movie. And uh, the Marvel movies are interesting to me because I've never really been a superheroes fan. Some of you are going to hate me when I say this, that I, I just haven't watched many Marvel movies, like maybe two out of those 22 I've seen, and I fell asleep in maybe two of those. And um, <laughs> I, I did get to Endgame. I did watch that one, so that was my third that, I, that I've actually watched. But as, I, as I've watched and, and tried to get caught up, which John Lloyd, one of our worship leaders, by the way, he knows all the Marvel movies. He knows all the characters, all the plot lines. He's memorized most of the movies. And so he helped me get it caught up to speed. And there's so many little pieces of... Um, of some gospel truth in there, that if we look for it, we find it. And do you know that truth can be buried in so many different places? And when we're able to see it in that light, uh, I think it helps us remember and pursue that truth in a new way. So I hope, I hope that's true today. There's this book that was written years ago, and it's called The All Better Book. And I think it was authored by a teacher uh, an elementary school teacher who had some students, and she said, you know, I'm going to write a book where I take all the, the, the huge issues that our world is facing today, and I'm going to ask my students how they would solve these issues. And that's the book, is the solutions of our major issues in the world as seen by elementary students. It's awesome. One of the issues, she said, pollution. So our, our air pollution is, is growing. The more people that you have, the more cars and things like that, there's just more pollution. And so she went to her students and she said, what would you do about some of the issues that our world is facing due to pollution? And Joanna, age eight, said, I would have all people in the world at one time get a hose and wash the pollution away. And it might make a rainbow too. How awesome is that? We all just get a hose and we just wash it away. She said, hey, you know, in our world, people have different ideas of how to do things and that those different ideas oftentimes creates a little tension. Just like when you're on the playground, you guys tend to fight every now and then. And, you know, in our grown-up world, people fight and that fight sometimes leads to war. So, like, what would you do to help people get along in the world? And she said, I would have our whole country um, protest together and all the kids in, in our country should hold up signs that make people stop and laugh and think about what they're doing. Adrian, age eight. That's a pretty good solution. 
Just making sure you guys are still with me. Last one. Okay, last one, I promise. This is a good one. Uh, the teacher said, hey, there are billions of people in our world. There are billions of people in our world. And there are so many people within that billions of people who feel like they're all alone and lonely. What would you do to solve the loneliness problem in our world? Isn't that a good question? So uh, Max, age nine, said, I think scientists should make food that talks to you when you eat it. <laughs> How was your day? <laughs> Genius. Matt, age eight, uh, he said, I think we should give all people a pet or a husband or a wife. <laughs> so many things I want to say, but I probably should just <laughs> stop with that. Uh, my favorite answer was Kalani, age eight, who said this, everyone should sing a song and stomp their feet and read a book. Sometimes I think no one loves me, and that's what I do to feel better. Hmm. Sing a song, stomp your feet, and read a book. Sometimes I think no one loves me, and that's what I do. It's interesting. We are the most connected people who have ever lived, and yet the number of people who feel lonely and isolated has increased in record numbers. I want to just share a couple little stats with you. And I know stats aren't everything, a couple little stories. In 1831, de Tocqueville uh, traveled throughout the United States and he wrote what he encountered in the United States. And as he wrote, um, he said that the number one distinguishing factor that he experienced in the United States was extremist individualism. Extremist, he used that phrase, extremist individualism a people who are so fixed in being by themselves with others, and he went on to say he believed that individualism would wreck society, would destroy society. And it's been a little bit of an experiment. We, we raise our kids, many of us say, we raise our kids to be able to live on their own. And the great truth of Scripture is that God created every single one of us to be relational beings who cannot live on our own. We can't live on our own. It goes against the very wires that we've been given. It's the ways that we've been put together. In the recent Gallup polls, he says the United States, people in the United States are among the most lonely in the entire world. In this land of great opportunity and promise, some of the most Lonely people on the entire planet. How could that be? Theresa May in the UK a couple years ago, uh, loneliness became such an issue in Britain that she uh, assigned and created a new position at the highest level of government to address the problems that they were facing. And the title of this position is Minister of Loneliness. There is a, an official Minister of Loneliness in their government. Australia is thinking about the same thing because of the record numbers of people who are claiming to be isolated and all alone. In Japan, there's a new word, kodokushi. Can you say kodokushi? Kodokushi. It means lonely death. 
And they've been facing this issue where people die all alone and they aren't found for some time. And one story that they tell is that a man in his 70s died in his home all alone and it took them three years to discover he was dead in his home. And we, you know, in our minds, we think, how could that be? Didn't he owe bills? I mean, wasn't there something he had to pay? It took three years for his automatic bills uh, to, they continued being taken out of his bank account. It took three years for his bank account to be drained from the bills that were being paid to where someone finally came to look for him. Three years. Now, some of you are distracted by that thinking, could I have three years saved up <laughs> by the end of my life? But the issue is that he was completely alone and no one went to look for him. A study was done and published in the Harvard Business Review. Vivek Murthy uh, was the one who, who completed the study, and it was all about loneliness and work and the issues that come about through this. And if you'll read this study, some fascinating things he found. Uh, one of the things that he found was this. During my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes. It was loneliness. And the connections between loneliness and health issues are staggering when you begin to see them. Staggering. Now, this is tough to read, but I wanted to take it from the study, and uh, it was all pixelated if I made it bigger, but here it is. Loneliness and weak social connections are associated with a reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Now, think about that. Loneliness has some of the same effects as smoking 15 cigarettes every single day, and even greater than that, associated with obesity. People who are lonely have some of the same issues that those who smoke, some of the issues with weight. Loneliness is also associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, and anxiety. At work, loneliness, from this study, loneliness actually decreases performance. Those of you who run businesses, those of you who are managers in, in your work, interesting. Loneliness decreases performance, limits creativity, and impairs other aspects of executive function, such as reasoning and decision-making. And he comes to this con conclusion. For our health and our work, it is imperative that we address the loneliness. Look at the word he uses. The loneliness what? It's an epidemic among us. It's an epidemic among us. This, uh, this kind of culture where we... We gravitate towards ourselves. We isolate ourselves. So connected in the social world, yet disconnected from people face to face every single day creates all kinds of issues. And some say tribalism, and I'll explain what tribalism is. Tribalism has sprung up from individuals who tend to asso associate only with others who think like them and act like them, and it leads to dehumanizing people who are on the other side of whatever that tribal group marker is. Are you with me? Does that make sense? So we only isolate ourselves and we get in these circles, which is natural. Human, I mean, they've said from the very beginning of time, people naturally gravitate towards tribes, but these, this tribalism, this new tribalism is one that depersonalizes and dehumanizes anyone who thinks different than me. And friends, every single day, we're confronted with this very thing. 
Now, this isn't about politics or anything like that, but politics, we can see it in our politics where we dehumanize those on the other side of the aisle, whichever side you're on. And this tribalism leads to even more individualism, and that individualism leads to disrespect. We quit caring for one another. We actually quit seeing one another. Now, aside from that, in our homes, you know it's possible to live with people in the same house. It's it's possible to sleep in the same bed as someone else and feel completely alone in this world. And over time, marriages disintegrate into being just roommates and you find yourself wondering why, uh, why you feel all alone and you're in a house that is full of people, kids and a spouse, and you're wondering, why do I feel all alone? I think if you were to trace back the ideas of things like a midlife crisis, you would find this individualistic mentality creeping in. Um, Richard Rohr talks about the first half of our lives is all about creating a sense of ego, what he would call the false self. And then you hit this point where you realize what created this false self won't sustain you through the rest of your life and it causes you to crash face to face with yourself all alone. What you've created has separated you from the very people you claim to love. Now, um, some of you right now are wondering, are we gonna see a movie clip or not, Matt? <laughs> I thought this was at the movies, yes. And the, the Avengers and the whole superhero group are are on the same side. They're fighting evil and they're trying to keep people from overcoming, the evil from overcoming the goodness that's a part of the world. They're, they're trying to help one another and yet they, just like us, run into these places of conflict where they can't even get along. They, they quit respecting one another and they no longer can appreciate the ways that they operate. Check this out. <laughs> I just had to keep that last line in there because it's awesome. You people are so tiny. Isn't that what we do with each other? Like we, we, we sit around in community and then we begin to like argue about different perspectives to achieve the same purpose until we begin to dehumanize one another and disrespect and then it turns into like kindergarten kinds of fights. We start throwing around names and the whole idea of community is eaten away. Um, just a quick picture, real, real quick picture of what God wanted to do when he formed a people. He called Abraham and he said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a whole people group. And he said, and then I'm going to bless you. And then those of you who have been around church for a while, what did he tell Abraham he wanted to do with the, what he wanted him to do with the blessing? He wanted him to take the blessing and enjoy it. No, that's not what he said. He said, I want to bless you so that you would in turn bless others. Like the whole idea of what God wanted to do in this world was to create a people who would then open their hands so that other people would be able to be a part of the family. And it ran amok, like many of the things that humans do. And so Jesus comes, and in Jesus' ministry, as Jesus' ministry begins, he begins not by standing in a big auditorium and preaching, he begins by inviting some individuals to join him for the next three years. 
he gets a, a group of people together. Now, many of us might think, oh, Jesus got a bunch of Jewish people together who looked alike, who thought alike, who believed alike, so that he could create a tribe that then would, would go change the world. But that's not true. Just a couple of people I want to point out. If you go read when Jesus called his disciples, there's two specifically that he gives a title for. The first one, Simon the Zealot. Have you ever heard that name, Zealot? A zealot in the first century was an aggressive, violent uh, part of a group who believed that Rome was evil and that they were called to overcome Rome with violence. They oftentimes took up arms against them because they believed Rome was evil. So Simon the Zealot becomes a part of this Jesus group. Then Jesus happens upon a man named Matthew, and here's his title, the tax collector. And Matthew joins the party and the table, 12 people among this little group of people that is called to change the world, two of them, just two of them. Think about this dynamic. Uh, Simon the Zealot, who believes Rome is evil and should be wiped from the earth. Matthew, the tax collector, who is on the payroll of Rome. Can you imagine that dinner party and a conversation about how can God's world come to be in our world today? Can you imagine the disagreements around that table? Jesus didn't just want people who looked the same and acted the same. He wanted people on all sides of the spectrum. And he gave them one law. In the Old Testament, there were ten. Have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Some of you? Ten Commandments, Old Testament. There were these 10 like, laws that they were to fulfill, and then the uh, Israelites, the Jewish people, took those 10 laws and created over 600 laws, and these were the laws they had to fulfill to be able to walk with God, to be one of God's people. And so they had all these laws, and Jesus came and he said, you know what, I'm fulfilling all that, and I'm going to give you one commandment the night that he died. One commandment. Guess what it is? Love. Love one another. And then Jesus says, you know, this world will come to know that you're following me, not by how much you know, not by what you memorize, and not by following those 600 laws of the past. They'll know you're my followers by your love for one another. And that love was the basis and the mark of the community, the distinguishing mark that would change this world. Now, I want you to look around this room. There are maybe, I don't know, three, four, five hundred people in this room gathered today because a couple thousand years ago, a Jewish rabbi sent by God believed that love could change the world. And you might think to yourself, well, you know, three, four, five hundred people out of that original 12. I mean, Matt, that's 2,000 years. That's not a very good return on the dollar. But then to think millions of people gathered all around this globe today because of what Jesus did and started with that small group of people in that upper room. And that's what we're called to be. A people, a community, marked by love in such a way that it's always opening the door for outsiders to find a place at the table. And I think so often, in our world, the church has been a place that has built more walls than we've built doors. 
and we've kept more people away from the table than we've invited to the table. And that is not how you change the world in God's eyes. Uh, Look at this passage of scripture. Paul wrote this to a young church, maybe like us. And um, he's, he's reminding them of where they've come from. And in the first century, you had Jewish people and you had Gentiles. And Gentiles just meant everyone else. You had those who were God's people and then everyone else. Are you with me? God's people, Jewish people, everyone else, Gentiles. And he says to these Gentiles, you're no longer wandering exiles looking for a home. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. I love that phrase. You belong here. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. How awesome is that statement? Doesn't our world need that statement? Calling people to this God who loves them, reminding them that they have as much right to the name son or daughter of God as anyone else. And he's reminding us, you have been welcomed to the table. Why would you keep others from that same table you didn't belong to at first either? So he goes on. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here. I mean, he's building this picture of just the way you build a home and you take bricks and you take drywall and you take lights, which we've been doing in this place. Each week you come in and there's all these different things. It's expensive to build a home. Did you know that? Anyway, he's building this home. He's giving us this picture and he's saying Everyone has a spot, a place in this kind of community. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation back in those days. And now he gives them this this beautiful picture. The next slide. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, reminding us that we are a family, a community that is held together, not by all of our agreements, not by memorizing certain things, not even by showing up all the time, but we are held together by who? Jesus at the center. The the one who called us to be people marked by love because he was marked by love. He said, we see it taking shape. Here it is, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. In the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the idea was that God dwelled in a building. And what he now wants us to understand is that God does not dwell just in a building, but rather God dwells in the community of people who have been marked by the love of Jesus. And if this world is to ever find a home with God, he's calling us to be the kind of community that gives him a home. Are you with me? I mean, that, it's a beautiful picture. And when all this comes together, when we begin to operate in a way that all of our gifts are used and we value and honor one another, regardless of how we got here, why we got here, and what your gifts are, what my gifts are, they're all used together to give God a home so that this world might be changed and that no one would be lonely. It's amazing what could happen. And some of you at this point are like, is there going to be another movie clip, Matt? (laughs) Okay, I'll give you one more. So when, when the Avengers and the superheroes can finally come together and agree on some things and lay aside their selfish ways, it's amazing what God can do. Okay, God wasn't in the film, but it's amazing what can happen when we trust one another, when we love one another, when we respect one another. Check this out. So, 
What's interesting is we often get caught up thinking that our fight is against other people. Like our fight is against, against flesh and blood. People who think differently than us or act differently than us, who aren't a part of our kind of community. But the truth is, our fight isn't against flesh and blood, but it's the power of evil. And it's the power of evil that keeps people in the darkness, making them feel all alone. Some of you in this place today feel all alone. And you think to yourself, Matt, I hear you talking, and it sounds great, but I've never quite experienced that kind of community. I think there's a few things that keep us from it. There's a few things that keep me from real community. And I'm going to end with this, I promise. Um, you might add some different things to the mix. You might have the same experience of me. But the first, th first thing that keeps me from community is insecurity. As soon as I begin to dig into a community and invest with a community, the opportunity for them to see who I really am begins to exist. And I just don't want you to know who I really am because I know what's down here. And so much of that keeps me from investing in real relationship. Sometimes that keeps us from investing in relationship with the people we love the most, our spouses, our kids. I, I have this group of guys and, um, that I try to meet with on a regular basis and there's seasons we meet every single week and there's seasons where we meet once a year. It's awesome. The seasons where we meet every week are so much more powerful in building the kind of community where we can love each other and hold one another accountable, where we can begin to create this place where we're known and where we can know, where we can support and love. 59 times in the New Testament, the phrase one another is used. Look at this. These are all the, well, this, this is just a little picture of one another's. Love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another, accept one another, instruct one another, greet one another, carry one another's burdens, serve one another, be patient with one another. I almost didn't put that one up there because I hate that one. Be kind with one another, forgive one another, submit to one another encourage one another, confess one another. It's almost like the New Testament is telling us community, the places we do the one another's is actually the thing where we could experience God and express him to this world the most. It comes back to this theme again and again, do this with one another. So insecurity keeps us from it. Commitment keeps us from community. And in the world today, you know what this is called? FOMO. You know what FOMO is? The fear of missing out. And the fear of missing out is the idea that I can't commit to whatever this is because something better might come along and I don't want to miss it. And I think God is saying the something better is right in front of you. Some of us have these, you know, grand ideals of signing up for a small group or a Bible study and we start out strong, but then... Then someone invites me to go somewhere else, and that sounds awesome, and I don't want to miss out on that, so I'm going to set the community side apart. The truth is, community is, it's the thing that we need to be a part of so that we don't feel all alone. So I would challenge you this fall to, um, to commit to something. Whether it begins as a once-a-month dinner group. Hey, listen, dinner groups are the best thing in the world. I love dinner groups. You get around the table, changes everything. Commit to a dinner group. Once a month, 
once every two weeks, something that will draw you into this kind of life. Last thing, wounds. So many of us have been hurt in the past by community, and so we don't really have an interest in going back into it because we don't want to be hurt again. The right kind of community, the right kind of people, love as the foundation will be a place where wounds are actually healed, not caused. But it takes commitment and honesty and authenticity. Next week, we have a group link, and it's going to be a great time for you to just check out some opportunities. So be back next week. We have another movie for you. Some of you are wondering, are you actually going to show more than two clips? Is it going to be longer, shorter? You have to come back next week to find out. But before we do that, will you stand? I'm going to say a prayer over you. And I'm going to encourage you with everything I am to be a part of community. Don't be lonely. Don't isolate yourself. Father God, we thank you for the word which is true and right. We thank you for what we find in Scripture, a reminder that we were once exiles, wandering along, trying to find our place, and you invited us to the family. God, help us to do the same, to invite others into the family, to create spaces communities where anyone is welcome to the table and help us to experience in that environment life that is truly worth living. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.